As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. We're the fourth winningest franchise in the league since 2000. All right, that means... In the upper quartile of winners, we're in the top quartile of that upper quartile. That's rare air. Hello and welcome back to the Upper Quartile Podcast. I am your host, Jim Iello, and I am joined by the Athletics Colts beat writer, James Boyd. James, we're coming off another uh, Indianapolis Colts loss where the, the offense put up some points, the defense gave up a lot more points, and that seems to be kind of a growing trend. With this team, I mean, they they give up 350 passing yards to the Saints, 150 rushing yards. It was over 500 total yards. Just Saints offense, which has had lots of struggles this year, particularly in the red zone, pretty much did anything they wanted against the Colts um, in this game. Run pass, Taysom Hill, Alvin Kamara, didn't matter. They just figured out a way to, to score points and, and get anything they wanted. So the place we're going to start, and we'll get into some, I know people are interested in Jonathan Taylor. We'll talk about that. Maybe a little trade deadline stuff. We'll get to that a little bit later. But I really want to start with this defense and where things are headed and where things are at because they had to play a cornerback, James, who who shouldn't have been put in the position he was put in. You wrote this for your story after the game, but like this game is not really on Tony Brown. This game is this game is on Chris Ballard in a lot of ways. Yeah, this was a rough game. Obviously, Tony Brown was the weak link, was kind of reminiscent of what happened last week with Daryl Baker Jr., where a player, again, is probably put out there, and you're like, he's in over his head. He, you know, is kind of drowning out there, can't swim uh, in, in the deep waters, and that's what it felt like, and they were just picking on him. And I thought that, you know, there were a number of plays, obviously, that the Colts wish they had back or wish they had different personnel in there for because I think there was an NFL next-gen stat, and I, I don't think this, I know this, where – you know, when Tony Brown Jr. was the nearest defender, Derek Carr was like seven for seven for over 100 yards passing, also had a touchdown and, you know, had a perfect passer rating. And so that to me is the definition of them picking on him, being exposed um, on the back end. And also, I just thought that it was kind of an indictment of what decisions Chris Ballard made. Now, I actually enjoyed the comments on this week's story from people pushing back their rebuttals and like, Hey, how many NFL teams are going to have this much depth? I understand that. However, 
I still think that it was a gamble because, you know, people are telling me, oh, well, Dallas Flowers got hurt or, you know, and obviously Juju Brents was out. But my point that I was trying to make is outside of Kenny Moore, you're banking on a bunch of undrafted guys, you know, and rookies to step up alongside him. And I think that was sort of short-sighted because even if all these guys were healthy, the likelihood of, you know, Jalen Jones, you know, Juju Brents, as well as Daryl Baker Jr. and Dallas Flowers, all of these guys being dependent on at the same time, stepping up and playing well, is kind of a long shot in my opinion. I mean, obviously Jalen Jones has played pretty well to start the season, and I think he's definitely um, made himself you know, comfortable on the roster as a guy who will be here at least, you know, throughout the season and possibly going forward. But he's a seventh-round pick. Dallas Flowers, undrafted second-year guy. Daryl Baker Jr., undrafted second-year guy. Like, this is the risk that Chris Ballard kind of took um, beyond just injuries, just inexperience. And I thought that after Stephon Gilmore requested a trade, went to Dallas, and then obviously with Isaiah Rogers Sr. being suspended and cut, he could have gone out and possibly gotten, you know, a cheap veteran. Hindsight is twenty twenty. You know, I can't crush him too much for it because obviously, again, he can't predict injuries and things like that. However, we we asked him before the season, hey, you know, what about these guys? You know, you didn't really address this room. And he's like, hey, I feel confident in all these guys. And I'm like, are you, are you really that confident? But I think it goes back to a bigger point, Jim, where I truly believe the Colts did not think they were going to be the, any good. And so they were they were fine with it. They were like, oh, well, we're going to play the young guys, see what we have, save some money. And then go from there. However, when they kind of overachieved and gave themselves a chance to be in these games, regardless of the quarterback, obviously with Shane Steichen, it came back to Biden because they really just needed one serviceable cornerback. And I think it really says um, how depleted that room is without Juju Brents healthy that they didn't even think about going back to Daryl Baker Jr. Um, now, I will also add that it was a little bit weird to see that they'd never really gave Tony Brown Jr. more help over the top. Now, I know there was a miscommunication on a long touchdown um, pass, but the bottom line is, you know, Rashid Shahid had the game of his life, you know, at Reggie, not Reggie, I was going to say Reggie Miller, but Randy Moss uh, sort of, you know, stat line with three catches, 153 yards, his first 100-yard receiving game, and easily his best, you know, game of his career. It was just, um, it all came to a head, and I thought, again, while Tony Brown Jr. standing there in the locker room, taking all the blame, all the heat, which he, you know, has to own, obviously, some of it because he played. I think the bigger culprit in this situation is Chris Ballard, um, along with, as well, Gus Bradley for, I don't know, switching up to defense, maybe. I understand you can't do things. You can't change everything, you know, throughout a game. However, to see Tony Brown Jr., you know, on third and 13, the New Orleans is back on their own 30-yard line. This is the game, basically. They're down by eight. The Colts are down by eight. Got a chance to, you know, get the ball back, tie the game. And he's on an island, and they just picked on him. And it was the most predictable play call. I mean, it was an aggressive play call, but it was predictable. It was, oh, our guy who has been torching them is lined up against their guy who's been getting torched all day. And it worked. And they ended up holding on, kicked the field goal to win it. So, again, just a really tough uh, – or not to win it, but to seal the win. But it was uh, a tough day, a weird day overall, but one where I think that, again, we kind of you know look back at some offseason decisions and think – Wow, this uh, this probably could have been prevented. Yeah, the funny part about I was looking at that, uh, actually just watching as you were talking about it, just watching that that last play to Rashid Shahid that ended the game. I mean, Bradley blitzed. He doesn't blitz. He usually doesn't at all. And he was, I think he was trying to end the game. Pressure, you know, pressure is the way you get to Derek Carr. 
I think he wanted to end the game. He wanted to get the ball back, I should say, for his offense, and it backfired. I mean, they had, you know, when you send an extra rusher, they send five. You don't have an extra safety to help over the top. And I think Derek Carr said in his postgame comments, you know, they had Olave running a go route on one side and Shahid running a go route on the other. And and I, I think it was Julian Blackman shaded Olave, who is the bigger name receiver. So I guess I get it. But you roll those dice, man. Like if you're going to if you're going to blitz, you're going to leave that guy who's been getting exposed all day. It was almost 200 yards against Tony Brown and all day. And you let Derek Carr say, yeah, OK, that's my matchup. I'm going to that. And. Let's be clear. If you watch any Saint games before this, they're not afraid to chuck it deep in one-on-one coverage. So if that's what he saw, that's what you were going to get. So I'm with you. I do want to play devil's advocate to your to your Chris Ballard thing. And I'm not saying I disagree at all. I just think it's a fun conversation to have. So yeah, let's get back to that point of they weren't supposed to be good, right? They weren't supposed to be good. They're They're kind of trying to figure out who they are. Is Anthony Richardson going to be our guy? Let's not spend a ton of money pretty much on the defense and you and and typically it. that's a good way to say what teams are, are telling you. You have to listen. Where are we spending money? Are we spending money on offense? Are we spending money on defense? Where are we are we spending money in the secondary? They're not. They were, I think you said we were on the phone the other day. I think you said they were 31st, I think in cornerback spending, something like that. Yeah. It was like the bottom, I think it's like 29th or 30th, something like that, but they're in the bottom tier of paying cornerbacks in the league. I guess we have to listen to what the Colts are saying is saying we're going to figure out the secondary later, which we can get into this in a little bit is an indictment of where Chris Ballard's drafts have been in terms of the secondary and, and particularly a cornerback. But I guess this is not a good argument for Colts fans to hear, but to be expected this is the only argument against I can have is, is yes, this is what you, you went into the season with rookies and, you know, bottom of the depth chart type of guys. This is what you get. This is what you get when you do that. And and maybe they were okay with that. And 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 maybe there is something to, hey, we'll expose them. We'll get them as much playtime as they can. They'll grow. They'll get better if they have the talent to do so. I don't know. I mean, the thing is, and again, we talked about this, you and me, on, on the phone yesterday. You were competitive. You kind of surprised some people. You got off to a good start. You paid JT because you thought you might be able to win a few games this year and maybe push the Jaguars for the AFC South. Like, now that that plan of letting it grow and develop kind of backfires. So I don't know where 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 are you on this? It's a mistake. I don't think there's any way of saying or, you know disagreeing or it's not a good situation the Colts have in the secondary. But is it is it an acceptable mistake? Is that a way to phrase it? I don't know. How do you feel? Oh, acceptable is always tough because I'm like uh, <laughs> you know, it's acceptable to just go out there and lose in that fashion. I'm not sure if that's acceptable, but I I will give him some grace. I was a little more fired up after the game when I wrote the story, but. It's hard, and, and and honestly, I'll probably touch on it a little bit more throughout the season. It's like every week it seems like the Colts' trajectory or their outlook for the season has changed a ton. You know, you're coming into it, you're like, oh, we're not going to be that good. We'll just see what we got with Anthony Richardson. It's like, oh, wow, Stane Steichen is really good. Anthony Richardson is really good. Maybe we'll actually be something. You know, you go to, I think it might have been, you know, uh, two and two or something like that. And then you sign JT. You're like, all right, we got our running back back. We're going to be really good. And then the next game, you win, but Anthony Richardson gets hurt. He's out for the season now. Or as Jim Rossi says, they make it to the championship game. Um, maybe he'll return, which the championship game seems further and further away now, Mr. Ursay. But um, all that to say, it's hard to predict this season. But I do think that there should be a little bit of grace given because of, again, you're asking your sixth you know cornerback or whatever to kind of step in there who's never been 
um, you know, a, 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 a true cornerback in the NFL. He's a special teams guy, but yeah, it's a tough question. I feel like I'm a politician right now. Um, I'll say it's, I'll, <laughs> say, I'll say it's unacceptable because I still think a veteran presence would have helped this room. No disrespect to Daryl Baker Jr., Dallas Flowers, but these aren't guys that you absolutely had to keep around. Um, you could have got a one-year deal for who was it? Marcus Peters. I think he had a pick six last night. Actually, he did. Yeah. Um, you could have gotten a, a one-year deal for you know Rocky Sin or or any of these guys to kind of help. Um, not only like bolster that room, but kind of guide the room. Because again, even beyond that, the only veteran in the room who's a true corner is Kenny. And and so I thought that that was always something that was kind of odd. I'm like, wow, you're putting a lot on his plate to be a leader and kind of guide this group. And again, I know you want to see what you have, but realistically, you're probably only going to like the only one who, in my opinion, was going to be an impact player this season anyway, was going to be Juju. You know, of the draft picks you had, Jalen Jones, Darius Rush, Jalen Jones actually beat out Darius Rush for the, you know, a roster spot. But my point is, all that being said, I mean, how many guys did you really expect to be, you know, kind of hanging your hat on who were unproven? And and to me, that's that's kind of a, just being a little cheap, I guess. But I think it was a built-in excuse to begin with. They didn't think they were going to be good. And then now it's like, oh, my gosh, we were actually, like, in some of these games. Obviously, 4-4 four and four looks a lot better than 3-5. and five. It changed. It changed significantly. And now they've kind of made this bet and have to lay in it unless they obviously make some moves. But I don't anticipate, you know, we'll get into it later, but I don't anticipate any crazy moves being made at the deadline. It's kind of what you where you're at right now. And I do think had they started the season with like a three-game losing streak, we wouldn't be having this conversation. They're on three-game losing streak now. And it's like, oh my gosh, the sky is falling. What happened? But I think it's if anything, it's like you don't have your rookie quarterback and you're regressing to the means in a sense. I mean, there's not going to be many teams in the NFL that win without their starting quarterback anyways. They were, they've been in every game credit to Shane Syke and his team, but yeah, it's tough. And, you know, I guess we can pivot a little bit. I'll let you, you know, take it away, but there's other things with that defense, Jim, that we've talked about. I will write about that, that Tony Brown was like the easy target. Chris Ballard to me was probably the, the next easy target, but if there is something we're going to criticize him for, um, you know, he loves his pass rushers. Where's the pass rush? He loves drafting them. I, it's about where it stops a lot of the time. No, I. there's two things I wanted to get at, and I will get to that point in one second. But you mentioned, and, and you know, it was well said, is that Chris Ballard said he had confidence in this group. At one point, Chris Ballard kind of has to look in the mirror on his secondary draft picks, particularly a cornerback, and wonder, why do I have confidence in my draft picks? Because none of these guys really pan out. I mean, I can go through, you know, you got Nate Harrison, Quincy Wilson, which ended up being a bust. That was 2017. Didn't draft a corner in 2018. 2019 was, again, Marvell Tell. That didn't work out. 2020 was Isaiah Rogers. That didn't work out. He looked like a decent player, but that didn't work out. In 2022, we got... Yeah, no, I'm I'm sure I'm missing a corner here. I was flipping through kind of fast, but again, a lot of the corners that he brings in haven't really panned out the way that they that they had hoped. And so, I honestly think if you look at yourself in the mirror and you're saying I have to cut my fifth round pick, Darius Rush, maybe my cornerback evaluation skill is not my best trait. Just maybe. So I do think that you maybe have to invest in that position a little bit more. The best corners the Colts have had have been guys they've had to kind of sign. You know, Xavier Rhodes, Stephon Gilmore. They've kind of had to go outside the organization to find usable starting cornerbacks. So that's been a huge problem. 
Uh, and they traded one away to transition this. They traded one away in Rocky Sin for Yannick Ngakwe to try to develop the pass rush because, again, the guys that he drafted didn't really pass rush. But there's a stat in your story. The Saints allowed pressure on 16% of their of Derek Carr's dropbacks. That's one of their best numbers in the last three years. It was, I think it's the best number this season by a long shot. They're usually around 20, 25% or 25%. So this was a huge step up for an offensive line that has struggled. And DeForest Buckner, to his credit, in your story, tried to take blame. So we left those guys hanging out to dry, and he's not wrong. I mean, they did. He he was the only one who got a little bit of pressure, but the rest of that team. He ain't wrong. Like the red, like DeForest Buckner, you could run for mayor, governor, president. Everyone believes in you. The rest of this, this group, I don't know, Jim. I'll let's continue. But man, yeah, it was it was rough. It was rough. No, I mean, just you know, Quiddy Pay, Dio Dangbo. You could go down the list. Ben Banigou. I mean, I'm trying to find all these guys. I mean, you guys, all these guys, everybody listening knows knows the list of guys that he's tried to address the pass rush with, and it just hasn't it hasn't happened. Kamoko Ture, Taekwon Lewis. Some of these guys are decent players. They're good, but they're not impact players. And again, to get an impact player, he had to go outside the organization and trade for DeForest Buckner. Doesn't help that you lost Grover Stewart. I understand that, but you have a young, inexperienced secondary. They need all the help they can get, and that means a pass rush that gets to a quarterback that doesn't let them sit there and get cooked for three or four seconds because that's what will happen against NFL receivers. And no pass rush, Derek Carr cooked them. No surprise, right? I mean, that's that's what happens. If they don't get a pass rush, these secondary guys, even if they are a little bit better, have no chance. Yeah, I believe DeForest Buckner had the strip sack either late in the first quarter or early in the second quarter. But my point is, or even just throughout the second quarter period, but after that, I mean, when that play happened, you're like, oh, wow, like this is going to be one of those games where, you know, they get home or they make his life miserable or the Colts give themselves a chance because he's constantly running from pressure. But after that, he was only hit one more time. That was it. And so, again, Derek Carr, someone who had been struggling with an offense, you know, that hadn't been really rolling on a two-game losing streak after a heartbreaking loss the week before, I believe on Thursday night, it looked like a, a cakewalk for, for a lot of those things. And then also, when you give him the time, their skill position players are pretty good. You know, th- those guys can compete probably with any unit in the league if you give them time. I mean, you got, you know, Chris Olave. You have, you know, Michael Thomas, who years ago obviously was really prolific, and he's still a, a pretty good player. Um, still good, have- yeah. You have you have uh, Rashid Shahid, who I didn't even know much about until that game, and I thought he was the greatest player ever when I saw him. <laughs> um, super fast guy. Um, obviously, Alvin Kamara. You give him time. You give Derek Carr time with Alvin Kamara running out of the backfield, or I mean, I'm sorry, uh, running a route out of the backfield. Alvin Kamara is going to win every single time. Zaire Franklin has 14 tackles this last game. I think he has over 100 already this year, and it's not even Halloween, or it is Halloween today, actually. But you can't expect him to also be this tackling machine and also cover Alvin Kamara for however many seconds. And check, It's just not realistic. I mean, Alvin Kamara is going to win against a linebacker 10 times out of 10. And so how do you counter that? You get home. And so uh, that was rough, and I think that that was probably the underlying cause i know you know the, the cornerbacks you know it, it felt like at least during that game was like a symptom of we're not getting home and it, it doesn't work that way i remember a play last year actually where you know they had stuff on gilmore so on the team and they lost to the commanders because uh terry mclaurin went up and had this great catch on stuff on gilmore um you know it was like kind of a jump ball and i asked gilly about it after the game and he said something to the effect of well, yeah, when you're back there covering, you know, for eight seconds, it's hard to cover for that long. 
And, and that, that wasn't the case. Like Derek Carr didn't have like a bunch of plays last week where he's like just, you know, buying time, staying there forever. However, the longer it takes for you to get there, I mean, the, the more likely that it, it is that the, the wide receiver is going to win. That's just the nature of the piece. They know where they're going. The defense can only react to it. It's not like you know exactly what's going to happen. And so when you put your cornerback in position like that, it's tough. And um, I really felt for Tony Brown because, again, you got people, social media, I'm sure, uh, kind of going at him pretty hard. But that was never his M.O. And I didn't oh, even He's a special teams it. player. Yeah. And I didn't touch on it much in the story. I don't think I touched on it at all, actually. But even when he came into the league, you know, and thought that perhaps he would have more of a prominent cornerback role coming out of Alabama, he was a nickel corner. So it's not like that's his bread and butter anyway. You know, he he's naturally, that's in, in the few plays that he has played on defense throughout his career, you know, this is someone who, again, was a nickel corner. You're playing him outside. And here's also a fun fact for you, which is, shout out to Mike Chap, Fox 59, the GOAT, the Dean. We always, like, throw stats back and forth. We sit next to each other in the press box, actually, a few seats away. So we're always saying, hey, Mike, did you know this? Or if I need something, like, hey, when's the last time this happened? And Chap will just bring it up. All that to say, prior to Sunday's game, when I believe Tony Brown Jr. played, looking at it right now, 55% of the defense, 55 defensive snaps, 83% overall, he had played one defensive snap all season. And that one defensive snap was against the Jaguars in the season opener, and he recorded a pick, the first and only pick of his career. So He was ready. Momentum, I mean, baby. Right. So, <laughs> I'm like, wow, how, how quickly things change in two months because he made that play in the season opener. It didn't even cross my mind that that was the only defensive play he was in for, which is you know crazy to me. So you go from not playing any defensive snaps, essentially, to being thrust into a really high-pressure situation and you come up short, and it also is not only an indictment of, you know, you or the team, or I mean, you or the, the cornerback room and your position group, but also the team, and also you know the pass rush and and those guys not getting home. Um, I think right now the only group that you really feel high on, I, I would say, is probably the linebackers because I, I do think that they have been the most consistent group all year, even with some of their you know uh. You know, I guess not dysfunction, but some of the disgruntlement, you know, from uh, is that, is that a word? I don't even know if it's a word, but some of the, uh, uh, you know, issues that Shaq Leonard has had. But the point is, the linebackers, I think, are, are, are probably the, the strongest unit. But man, like that pass rush and then the back end, it's hard. And then I, I go back to what Rick, Rick Venturi, you know, told me, longtime NFL coach, obviously cult analyst now, great dude. He's told me probably every time I see him <laughs> throughout training camp, uh, we were hanging out there every day. He's like, James, you know how good teams win? He said, you got to have, you know, you got to have pass rush. You got to win on the, you got to win on the edge. He said, edges of the field on the back end or edges on the field up front. You don't win on the edge. You don't win in the mark. Like you, you cannot, your, your defense is, is never going to be all of that unless you have one or the other or both ideally. And, and and right now it feels like the Colts have neither when it comes to a pass rush or um, a, a stout defensive uh, back room. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's almost a chicken and egg situation, right? Who's getting exposed and whose fault is it? I mean, it's funny. I think you, you, we've kind of gone through this process of like, it was Tony Brown's fault. But it's not really Tony Brown's fault. It's Chris Ballard's fault for putting him in that situation. But it's not really Chris Ballard's fault. It's more the defensive line's fault for not getting enough pressure. But whose fault is it they don't have enough guys that they're getting pressure? Well, it's kind of Chris Ballard's fault. So it kind of comes. I have to pick, <laughs> he probably deserves the most blame because he is the team builder, the team constructor. However, what you're referencing is nuance, and nuance is not allowed <laughs> on this podcast or on Twitter. Sorry, or my I story apologize. comments. But no, I think you make a great point. It's weird. I was, you know, as we're talking, I've been looking back through his draft picks, and it's offensively, he's done pretty well. They've hit some, you know, they've hit some playmakers, you know, Pittman, Downs, uh, JT, obviously, you know, I, I, JT, Anthony Richardson, uh, Ryman looks like he could play. Like there, there's been some good offensive draft picks, but defensively, which is really supposed to be kind of Chris Ballard's specialty. That's what he came in from Chicago doing really was drafting that secondary and doing a great job there. It just hasn't hit. It's just been, it's just been a lot of misses at, uh, particularly at in the secondary and on the defensive line. And, and you can't build that way. You look at the teams that are sustained winners, 49ers, the Eagles, they're just churning through quality defensive linemen. And then they can kind of plug in pieces in the back end. I mean, the, the 49ers typically don't pay their secondary too much. I mean, they draft guys who can play. Patriot various Ward, I think, a little bit. But mostly, they don't address it as much. They spend all, a lot of their money on Nick Bosa, Javon Hargrave, Eric Armstead. Those are the guys they go after. They you know, they got the DeForest Buckner. They traded him to the Colts and immediately drafted Javon Kinlaw, who hasn't been a star. But again, they're targeting defensive line. And they're getting going for tar- you know impact players there. That's what the Eagles do, too. They just continue to invest in the defensive line. Now, Ballard's tried in a lot of ways to invest in defensive line, but it hasn't paid off. His biggest hit is trading a first round pick for DeForest Buckner. Tyquan Lewis has been okay. Yeah, you know, and he's been, he's been hurt. hurt. I mean, yeah, it's not his fault, but I mean, injury is also a factor when you come to evaluation of players. Now, you can't predict it, obviously, but that that's kind of, you're bound to miss one because of injuries, obviously, but it is, I mean, when you're evaluating players, you kind of have to look at it, not in a rude way, but from a just vacuum kind of way where it's, hey, for whatever reason, he hasn't panned out either. Yeah. I mean, there's just Quiddy Pay, Dio Dangbo, two guys that, you know, I think Chris Ballard kind of, you know, hung his hat on that draft saying this, these are going to be the future of our defense. I mean, I remember, you know, Jim Irsay was super excited about bringing these guys in and, and hoping to get the new, you know, the next wave of Freeney and Mathis. And 
it's early ish on these guys' careers, but they haven't been the impact players that you need them to be, especially when you're playing on the same defensive line as DeForest Buckner, who does command so much attention. And Grover Stewart, who who's not a huge pass rusher, but does command some attention. It should take some of the pressure off of these defensive ends to get, you know, to be able to get pressure. And they just haven't been able to do it. So it is an indictment on Chris Ballard's drafts. And yeah, you just kind of rounding this thing back out, you kind of feel bad for Tony Brown because he was put in a position to fail and and it's not really his fault. So um, one of the other big storylines to emerge from this game was the lack of use of their most recently extended player, Jonathan Taylor. They, they gave him a lot of money and obviously the progression has been gradual as it should have been. He wasn't part of the, a lot of training camp. He, he needed probably to get work back in slowly, but I think a lot of us thought, you know, I was, I wrote down in my notes while I'm watching that game, you know, notes, I, I take notes for, for James, you know, story ideas. I'm going to throw James's way. First thing I wrote down was Jonathan Taylor game. This is the breakout game. This, you know, breakout of, of 2023. This is the one, you know, he had almost a hundred total yards before halftime. Like this is, this is it. And then he just disappears in the second half. I know you had questions about it. You got a chance to ask Shane Steichen about it. What did you think happened? What did Shane Steichen say? And and where do the Colts kind of go from here on their usage of him versus Zach Moss versus kind of just going away from the run game? Yeah, I jokingly tweeted out, I think after the first quarter, he might have had 80-something yards. And I'm like, if he keeps this up, he's going to set an NFL record today. And, you know, I'm not You thinking, jinxed him. Yeah, I did. I was like, oh, my goodness, I'm just bad luck. But I didn't think that there was any possibility that he wouldn't crack 100 yards after that first quarter, after that first half, Louisville's 11 carries, 94 yards in the first half. And you just think in your mind, okay, JT's going to get at least five more touches, five more carries in the second half, crack 100 yards easy. Didn't do it. Um, fell just shy of what it would have been his 16th, I believe, 100-yard game. But I was just confused. Um, obviously, they were trailing by two touchdowns late. So in that scenario, you kind of have to throw the ball to get back in it. But I thought early on in the second half, for him to only have one carry for, I believe, what one yard or something like that, well, was was pretty egregious. Now, Shane Steichen said afterwards, you know, some of it had to do with riding Zach Moss, who had the hot hand. And I say that kind of in air quotes because that's the way he phrased it. You know, Zach Moss had the huge, you know, 41-yard run in the third quarter. But outside of that, he didn't have much success running the ball. He had another, I believe, like seven-yard run. I think it was five runs for 50-something yards in the second half, which was solid. But I, you just wonder, okay, at what point do you ride the other hot hand? Because it looked really hot to start the game. And it just shifted and changed uh, dramatically and, and drastically. And it kind of left us all a little bit confused because, again, yes, you were trailing late, but you weren't down by a lot or trailing by a ton throughout the entire game. Um, you know, even on the drive where I believe Zach Moss had the huge uh run, I want to say Gardner Minshew threw a pick later on in that drive. And, you know, at that point, they were only trailing by one point, 21-20. So I'm thinking to myself, why didn't you just run the ball more with the best player um on your team, in my opinion, or, or at least arguably the best player on your team? It just didn't happen. Um and the result was obviously another loss. And they didn't have a problem scoring points necessarily, but they did have a problem scoring them in the second half. And I think you look at the entire game, it's like, oh, they scored 27 points. They were in a one-position game all the way until the very end, basically. They're, they're in it. No, 
the offense did not feel as fluid or as um, good in the second half, quite frankly. And I think that a lot of that had to do with not running the ball like you did in the first half and kind of maybe abandoning it a little bit too soon. Um, Shane Steichen was asked about it again yesterday on a Zoom call after watching the film, and he was like, could I have popped a run in there? Sure, but we were, you know, we're down two scores late. Um, you know, Zach Moss, uh, we were behind the sticks with, you know, pre-snap penalties, all those things. And they're legitimate factors, but, hey, I'm not saying I'm a coach. I don't want to be. Um, I'll be very bad at it. However, the coach in me, the youth league coach or whatever, is saying give the ball to your best player. Um, my guy is better than your guy. And JT, in a lot of situations, is. So, I mean, unless you run them and it's like this is just isn't working at all, that's one thing. But to not really like give him uh, multiple chances to potentially um, have that huge game or that breakout, uh, you know, JT run was really odd to me. And also, it just felt like he was getting closer to that. There were a few there, Jim, where I was like, is this the one? And, you know, whatever, for every reason, it was like an angle or, you know, he just couldn't really get to like that third level where it's just daylight. But it felt like as the quarter was going on early on, like, okay, he's going to break one today. This, this is going to be one of those days. And no, um, I asked JT himself, there was discussion about his usage, you know, in the second half. And he was like, no, you know, we we're putting up points. I can't complain. Very diplomatic answer you would expect from JT. Um, but yeah, we were asked even if he was hurt and Shane Steichen said, no, there was not an injury. Um, and there was a play though. And I'll write about this soon enough, but there was a play though, Jim, where I sent it to you and you saw it where he came up gimpy after a run in the second quarter. Um, and I believe it was something to do with his ankle or something like that. I'm not saying that, you know, they're lying or whatever, but he clearly was gimpy. And I, I don't know if that, how much that factored in. I'm not in his body. I don't know how it feels. But I just wondered, and I'll ask you even more clarification tomorrow, just to make absolutely sure, like, we saw this. Because I never asked specifically about that play, you know. And that was, like, with two minutes left in the first half, um, you know, kind of came up hobbling a little bit and, and and was fine, I guess, from the rest of the game. But, again, just a lot of unique factors that led to JT not being utilized how you thought he would. And I thought it was going to be, and I wrote about it in my quick gamer, my quick story, Jim, I thought it was going to be like the Alva Kamar JT duel, and that's what it was shaping up to be. Yeah, just to to kind of Jonathan Taylor got the first play, uh, first Colts play of the second half. It was that was the carry. It was a one yard run up the middle, and then he didn't touch the ball again until I believe the final drive or the second to last drive, I should say. It was a um a two yard pass to him. So yeah, I mean, and I'm looking at it now too. You know, just a lack of run game. You talked about there most of the time it was uh, within one score or close. You know, looking at the stats now, their average third down distance in the second half was eight and a half yards. So they're not doing Gardner Minshew any favors there by creating no no yardage. I mean, you're gonna you're, you're putting him in a bad position where the the Saints pass rushers can pin their ears back and go after him. They know a pass is coming. They just weren't doing much on first and second down. Now some of that is affected by you know he takes a sack and it, it messes with the average a little bit. It's a small sample size, but still. They didn't run the ball a lot early downs in the second half. I think Steichen got away from it a little bit. And as you pointed out, it's it's a little hard to criticize Steichen offensively, game plan wise, when this offense has been, frankly, one of the best in the NFL, at least one of the most consistent. You know, we, everybody's talked about they, they're the only team to score 20 points in every single game. So he's doing a lot of good things. I don't think this is mean, meant to be a criticism of Steichen overall. 
But just because the offense is playing well and putting up points doesn't mean you can't. And it is nitpicking, but it doesn't mean you can't nitpick. That doesn't mean there aren't mistakes. There is, doesn't mean there aren't things that he needs to go back and review. And I think he'd admit the same thing. I don't think this is speaking out of turn. Uh, uh, you know, I don't think Steichen would would disagree saying, yeah, maybe we got away from the things that were working for us, got a little too reliant on Gardner Minshew. And I think we've all seen during the Gardner Minshew era in Indianapolis, he could do some great things for you. But if you give him too many chances, he can do some some real bad things. I mean, he got pretty close to bailed out on that sack fumble oh, that, that yeah. was almost the Saints touchdown. And it was an incomplete pass. It was, but it was really close to just being a back, another backbreaking turnover for Gardner Minshew, who I don't think you can abandon. I saw some chatter about moving on. I think he plays too oh, well and no, gives you too no. much of a yeah, chance yeah. to win, but, yeah. but he does, he does have these tendencies to, if you give him too many chances, he will make these backbreaking mistakes. And that's kind of what happened. And so you have to think that Steichen, needs to be a little more cognizant in that going forward, thinking let's not expose my backup quarterback too much going forward. Obviously, I was had it in my quick story. You know, Gardner Minshew, no turnovers, Colts no turnovers this week. And then the pick happened um, where he rolled out. You know, I know Pittman took blame for it. Gardner Minshew took blame for it. Bottom line is it looked to me like he just didn't have enough arm strength to really get the ball where he wanted it to go. Um, after rolling out, and the difference I think with Gardner and Joel Erickson, Andy Starr, he says this all the time, as well as Stephen Holder at ESPN. Like when they when he stops and throws the ball, he's way better than when he just tries to throw it throw throws it simultaneously while running. So, for example, the pick on Pittman or on the throw to Pittman was while he was running, and he kind of just flung it on the run. Was not a good play, obviously. Ended up being an interception. But the one where he kind of scrambled, Drew Ogletree keeps running. He ran, 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 stopped, set his feet, and then delivered a strike down the field, which is a great play. I mean, it was like, oh, my gosh. And I remember asking Shane Second about it after the game. He was like, oh, that was all Gardner. That's just him and Drew Ogletree making a play. But, again, he made the play because he got his feet set. And so it just felt like, like you said, you put the ball in his hands enough, a turnover is going to happen. However, it's also knowing what his strength and weaknesses are. And I'm at the point now where it's like, man, if you cannot set your feet and it's not some like five or 10 yard throw, you know, just don't throw it down the field. Just take the sack or whatever because throw it away. Throw it away. Or throw it, yeah, <laughs> throw it away. You know, if you're outside of the pocket, throw it away because to me, to expect him to like scramble or or you know be on the run and throw some dime, it's just never been his game, and it probably won't be his game. I think that that's just the reality of it. When players get to, I think he's in his fifth season. By your fifth season, you know who you are. All the upside stuff, who you're going to be. It's very rare to see a guy make a jump, especially a quarterback, no less. Yeah, it's like Geno Smith and then end of list. Yeah, <laughs> it, which is crazy to me. And, and even then, Geno has the arm talent. Yeah, to, sure. you know, help him make some of those NFL um, throws. And, and not saying Gardner Mitchell can't make those, but just the, the ability to do it at a consistent high rate or just an average rate is, is not going to be very good because we've seen it. And so, yeah, this this team, offensively, they're they're okay. They've been, they've been all right. But the turnovers, and when they've happened, have been killer because obviously that turnover led to a touchdown by uh, the Saints, give them some breathing room. And I thought after that, okay, they're probably going to like hang on. They're going to make it interesting, but they'll probably hang on to win this one. And they did. So 
Um, third straight loss for the Colts and just a weird flip because everyone was riding high after, you know, you know, the win in Baltimore and, you know, beating the Titans when AR went down. But now I think the reality is setting in like, all right, we're two months into the season and we're three and five. And then they're in last place in the AFC South, which is what I was going to add. It's clear. And we had talked about this before. There's a talent. There's a talent deficiency on this team. They're just not as talented. And they weren't expected to be. This was not. A, a, they were picking in the top five last year. There's a reason for that. They they, <laughs> yeah. they, they, they took Anthony Richardson and looks like a great pick, looks like a smart pick. But when you lose your difference making quarterback, which I don't want to overstate things. He barely, he didn't play a lot. I, he just played very well in those short spurts that we did get to see him. But when you lose your difference making quarterback, who can kind of cover up for some of the gaps that you have in terms of talent. That's what you're going to start seeing. You're going to start seeing these losing streaks. I know a lot of people were really eager to see Gardner Minshew in this team, but this is what happens. It's not, I'm not even saying it's all Gardner Minshew's fault. The quarterback gets too much credit, too much blame. We all know this, but defense has been very bad. There's just not enough talent on this team to to make that to to to, to overcome some of the things Gardner Minshew is going to do on a on a week to week basis when you expose him as much as you do. This is he's a backup quarterback for a reason. He is one of the best backup quarterbacks in the NFL. You watch him play. He's honestly better than a lot of the starters that you see. Any backup quarterback, I've always thought, any backup quarterback, if you let him play enough, he will get exposed for what he is, which he'll is... remind a, you. Yeah. Yeah. He'll tell you who he is, which is... He's good. He's better. He's good enough to start on probably five other teams right now. There's no doubt about it, but he's not the guy you want starting your on, on your quarterback. So it's, it's tough. The Colts are going to have to grind through this season. It's really all about finding these building blocks that they can use going forward to build around Anthony Richardson and find on defense. I think offensively, they got more than... Um, that maybe we thought going in, which is great. And defensively, I think they got a lot of work to do um, in terms of finding those building blocks. So the last thing I want to get to before we kind of wrap this up is the trade deadline. Now, obviously, this podcast, we're doing it in the morning on the day of the deadline, which is risky. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, but really not, given Chris Ballard's history. Uh, not really a deadline uh, deal kind of guy. You know, made the Zach Moss, Naheem Hines trade, which was pretty small last year. So maybe... Maybe there's something small coming a little bit later. He's not really a big trade deadline guy. They're definitely not going to be adding to this team unless it's, you know, we talked about this on the last podcast, maybe like a Calvin Ridley type where the Jaguars were kind of, they were targeting the next year to try to get better. So I don't see anything like that happening. Point is, that's kind of the only deal that you could, you could maybe envision for the Colts. But my question for you is, you know, we talked about this a little bit before. Did anything change for you? Um, after this last game, do you want to see them really sell off pieces? Do you really want? To, I, I certainly don't think you want to see them add pieces, but do you do you think they should kind of rip it down and try to get as much value as they can going into next year, or is it more just let this team, you know, keep working together, build gel, and and see what they got? Good question. I think at this point, you kind of just made your bed, and just knowing Chris Ballard's history, what move can you realistically make? I know the big name on my timeline all this morning is Jalen Johnson, the cornerback, uh, one of the Bears' best players he wants out. But if you trade it for him, you also have to pay him. And is Chris Ballard really going to pay a cornerback $14, $15, 16000000 million a year for a team that he really, still doesn't really know about? I highly doubt it. Um, doesn't seem like something that would actually really happen. It feels like more of a Madden move than in real life. So um, I think at this point, hey, you 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 come back down to earth is what happens is what you do. Um, there are there is no more fixes. There is there is another moves to be made that's gonna you know right the ship or give this team some dark horse chance to make the playoffs. I think with that third straight loss, the playoffs we can we can kind of. I mean, it's a possibility, you know, but I just feel like it's it's. Slim to none at this point. 
because they're going to have to go on a streak to really get back in it. And I just don't think they have the, the quarterback, quite frankly, or, or the defense either to do that um, and, and kind of give themselves a, a chance to, you know, make a push late. I just feel like this team is being more of what we expected um, minus obviously Anthony Richardson. So I wouldn't expect any huge deals. Um, nothing's going to like make me, you know, kind of sit by the phone or, you know, have my jaw drop, you know, sort of like the JT extension, all those things. Nah, I expect this to be a pretty quiet deadline. And if I'm not mistaken, I believe Chris Ballard's last two trades have been from guys asking out. Gilmore you know, and, and Hines. Yeah, yeah, Gilmore and Hines. And so, I mean, I don't expect DeForest Buckner to be like, I'm ready to leave. He had a chance to leave this offseason and didn't. I don't expect him to do that. Kenny Moore. I mean, in a vacuum, you could say, you know, I know Zach Moss had a tweet out there where he was like, why does everyone see me get traded so bad? So, I mean, <laughs> maybe he could get moved. But at the same time, they've also said how much they, they, they value him and how much they want him to be that one-two tandem with JT. And then my thing is, and this is maybe thinking maybe, I don't know if it's too big picture, maybe I'll ask your opinion on this. Two running backs, obviously Zach Moss is very serviceable. There's some frustration there right now among fans and, and, and others who are like, why didn't JT get the ball more? I'm not like, you know, obviously I think JT should have got the ball more in the second half of last week's game. However, Zach Moss on an expiring deal, you just keep him to make sure that you keep hits off of JT in a season that's not going to be a great one. You're in my brain, man. That was exactly what I was going to say when you started bringing this up. Exactly what I was going to say was you just paid this guy for three years. Got two more years after this. Those are hopefully going to be your competitive years or at least more competitive years. That's when you need JT to be at his best. You don't want to ride this guy into the ground in the first year of this extension. You just don't want to do that. You want to preserve him for those competitive seasons. You want to pair him with Anthony Richardson. That was the dream scenario. They can be very effective. He can be a star in that offense. It's hard to say this. I know for Colts fans, because you're in the middle of the season, you want to win and, and they'll win some more games, but it's not about this season. It's about the future, especially without Anthony Richardson. So you just have to kind of swallow that and look for the, the the bright sides where you can. But yes, to your point, a hundred percent, I think it makes a ton of sense to keep Zach Moss in the fold and use him a bunch. That'll upset fantasy owners. I know, but use Zach Moss <laughs> a lot because you will save JT's legs. You just paid him. That was the commitment. you Now, if you weren't going to pay him, Ride him. That's fine. Whatever. But you just paid him. So now you have to make sure that investment is safe and that a big part of that is Zach Moss. Wow. What a this team, this season, things keep changing. I will say this with an interesting one coming up going to Charlotte, North Carolina, you know, for the Carolina Panthers game against the Colts next Sunday. That's the coach there. Exciting. I think some people know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I have no know. idea who that is. But no, I mean, <laughs> The storylines, I mean, coming into the season, I was one that I had circled because it was like Anthony Richardson versus Bryce Young. Should the, you know, Colts have traded up to to get, you know, Bryce Young and, and, and things like that. They get their first win last week, um, obviously. So they're one in six now, I believe. But regardless of what happens in that game, win or loss, there's going to be some chatter between those fan bases, I'm sure. Um, because of Frank Reich and Bryce Young and, you know, how fan bases can be. But I'm looking forward to that one because, I, I obviously, you know, it will be good to see Frank. Good dude. Nice guy, obviously. Um, didn't work out here with the Colts. But um, it's always going to be something when, when – and even for a guy like him who's very, you know, reserved and nice and all those things – 
he has to feel like, okay. Oh, I'm he's going to want this one. Yeah, I'm going against the team that basically said they don't want me anymore. And whether you're a player, a coach, GM, whatever, you always feel like that when it comes to, you know, uh, you know, if you're dating somebody, they, they dump you, basically. That, that That's going to feel uh, tough. So Human nature, um, right? Yeah, and I'm excited for that one because I think that, it, you know, it would have been a little bit more spicy had they been coming to, you know, the Colts. But um, I, I think that it's going to be fun regardless. I'm looking forward to that one a lot, Jim. Yeah, man. I actually, it's, I mean, on the Panther side of things, it's just kind of interesting because they got to go back to. I mean, if they had faced Anthony Richardson, it would have been fascinating because they would have gone back to back with C.J. Stroud and Anthony Richardson. It would have been great it, just to say, like, who? What did you? What did you pass up? You passed up Stroud, who's looked really good this season. But hey, Panthers won that game, and you would have gotten to. You would go ahead. You look like you want to jump in. Go for it. Here, here's how petty I would be though. If I'm a Carolina <laughs> fan, if I'm a so Carolina fan, and. <laughs> The my Panthers get their first two wins against the Titans. I mean the Titans, the Texans, and the Colts. I'm I'm counting it as a win against Anthony Richardson by the transitive property. He's technically <laughs> he's technically on the roster, so that's how petty I would be. But again, I love this it. is what I do love about social Lean media in. in a sense because it, it the the I'm sure the competitions are going to be totally, you know, uh, respectable and oh, yeah. have a bunch of Rational. nuance. No, there's going to be a bunch of chaotic uh, decisions, but. I say more chaos when it comes to this because that's what makes football funny to me. But yes, I would totally, if I was a Carolina fan, if by some chance, because I do think the Colts actually have a chance to win this game, I think that this would be actually a bad loss because they're just better in a lot of different aspects. I know we talked about a lot of their issues, but still, to me, they're better than the Panthers who only have one win this season. Only team with one win this season, I believe, in the NFL. But for some reason, if if the Colts lose, Lord have mercy. So um, we'll see. They don't have obviously don't have any plans of doing that trying to write the ship and obviously it would help to kind of get back on track before they go off to Germany and, and kind of have a unique week where you're dealing with, you know, trying to, you know, get things together with your own team, but also the travel, things like that. If I were Frank Reich and I, here's the thing, Frank Reich is, I haven't covered him for many years. I already know Frank Reich is a much classier person than me, but <laughs> it's just true. If I were Frank Reich and I just had the bye week before that Texas game, I would have been like, you guys game plan for the Texans. I got the Colts. I am <laughs> I am going to be studying Colts tape for this entire off week. We are going to win that freaking game. But that is not Frank Reich. Frank Reich does not think that way. Um, and I, I, I think you're right. I think it'll mean a lot to him. So it'll be a fascinating game to watch from his point of view on these things. For the Colts, it's really just another game of kind of trying to figure out who they are and what they have. But it will be interesting to watch on that side. And like you said, the comments on social media will surely be entertaining, to say the least. So until that point, we'll see. Maybe you'll hear us again. We'll have to do some sort of crazy emergency podcast tomorrow because they've traded Quentin Nelson, Braden Smith, and Ryan Kelly all on the same day or something <laughs> like that. Jonathan Taylor after paying. But no, obviously that will not have happened. But until next week, most likely, thank you for joining us in the Upper Quartile Podcast. And we'll talk to you soon.